Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. And I also want to read one other familiar verse of Scripture, two verses of Scripture from the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 10, verses 4 and 5. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, it tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Not just average, regular spiritual wickedness, but high-ranking spiritual wickedness. We see in, in uh, the New Testament especially, this concept or principle of spiritual warfare is mentioned repeatedly. The Apostle Paul said at the end of his journey, he said, I have fought a good fight. In Second Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, uh, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This passage of Scripture lets us know that the enemy uses strongholds, which is an area. And which puts us in bondage due to a way that we are thinking. Because we think a certain way, it puts us in spiritual bondage. But the Bible says that we have the weapons that we need. They're not carnal weapons, but they're spiritual weapons. And they enable us to overcome strongholds. Uh, I want to remind you tonight that uh, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And uh, in the midst of uh, United States of America that has presented a form of Christianity which is consumer-based, and it's so far from what the Bible teaches about how to live for God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to offer your body as a living sacrifice. We have instead a Christianity that does everything it can to cater to us and to uh, appeal to us and to be marketed to us, to uh, make us feel good and to put us in a position where we don't stretch ourselves and expect great things from God through this stretching of ourselves. But the word that I read, the Bible that I go through, when you look at it cover to cover, it's a book of self-denial. It's a book of finding God's favor by placing your life on the altar and giving yourself completely to God. And I want to remind us, going into this holiday season, uh, we're going to have great times. There's going to be a lot of celebration, no doubt. Uh, when we begin the new year, we want to take a time of consecration. We want to take a time of spiritual focus. And I want us to, I want us to get into the mindset, into the context of why it's important, of why it's not going to work just to half-heartedly meander through life saying you're a Christian and just going through the motions of being a person of God, why God's not going to bless our church if we uh, maintain that attitude, why we're not going to see the vision that God's put in our heart accomplished to, for lives to be changed with that approach, but there's got to be something inside of us that says, God, not my will, but thine be done. Just like Jesus said, God, let your will be done through me. I want to lay my life on the line. I want to lay my life on the altar, not just when I feel good, amen, not just when the preacher preaches the right message and makes me quiver, but I want when I wake up in the morning, I want my life to be a life of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd enable us in a short amount of time to make maximum impact, Lord Jesus, and let the word be memorable. Let it be exciting, Lord Jesus. Let it be filled with hope for someone tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are, you may be seated. We are engaged in this warfare, in this battle. Romans chapter 8 says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we have this contest, if you would, between the mind of the flesh, which is thinking about the things of this world, and the mind of the Spirit, which thinks of supernatural, spiritual, and heavenly things. One thing I've noticed about the Word of God in the Bible, I've noticed that things often come in threes. Has anybody noticed that? Uh, 
righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, abideth faith, hope, and charity. Not only that, but the one God has revealed himself, manifest himself as Father in creation, and then through the flesh as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the one God revealed himself reveals himself in our lives today as the Holy Spirit regenerating and changing us and working through us. It's the one God manifest or revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are just some of the threes that I could mention. I could go on and on. But when we think of this number three, there are three major enemies that we face in spiritual warfare. As you look through the Bible, as you study it cover to cover, you see emerge three dominant uh, thematic enemies that want to destroy your destiny, that want to destroy your hope of the future, that want to wreck your faith. And I want to talk about these three enemies real quickly. And I want to talk a little bit about three on three, because these enemies have three weapons that we can use against them. The three major enemies of God's purpose and destiny for your life and the enemies to your victorious living. The first one is Satan or spiritual wickedness. Now, I need some uh, young men that would help me right now. I need three young men that would stand up and be willing to help me one at a time. TJ, you can come first. And TJ, I hate to do this to you, but you're going to represent uh, enemy number one, which is Satan or Satan's kingdom and all the demons that are associated with spiritual wickedness, as the Bible says, spiritual wickedness in high places. This is our number one enemy. And the Bible goes on and on about how the devil goeth about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And this is enemy number one, which is Satan or hell or spiritual wickedness. Enemy number two, Josh, you can represent enemy number two if you can stand forward. And the Bible tells us that uh, uh, that this present world, the world, its systems and the appeal, the glitter, the draw of this world is something that also seeks to destroy our spiritual health, and we have to war against the influence and the impact of this world in our lives. So we've got two enemies that work together very often, but these two enemies are Satan and the world. And Jeff, if you can come forward, you are going to represent enemy number three uh, for us here tonight. The third enemy that we have to combat or fight against to have spiritual victory and to be an overcomer is our flesh. Everybody say our flesh. Our flesh with all of its natural urges and desires and lusts. And what we discover is that these three have a tendency to scheme together. The enemy, the enemy uses the things of the world to appeal to our flesh and to get a, bring us into captivity and establish strongholds in our mind. These are our three enemies. And if you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to face down your flesh. You've got to face down the influence and the impact of this present world. Come on, someone. You can't be a part of this world and be victorious and be an overcomer. The Bible says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so I've got to overcome my flesh. I've got to overcome victoriously the appeal of this world. And I've also got to overcome the enemy of my soul, which is Satan. So these three are our three enemies. If you could stay up there for a minute. I was noticing this week as I was studying, and last week and this week as I was studying, I looked at the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus laid out the ethic of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, if you look there, if you look there with me, we'll just look at a couple things real quick. Guys, you can keep staying there because you've got strong legs and strong backs. And you smell strong too. Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6 is where Jesus gives instructions in Christian living. At the beginning he says, Take heed that thy do not your alms before men. Verse 2. When thou doest thine alms. And it tells instructions. Don't sound a trumpet uh, as a hypocrite. 
they have their glory. Then verse 3, when thou doest thy alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and that thy Father which seest in secret shall reward you openly. When you give, everybody say, when you give. When you give, you engage in spiritual warfare. Mm. Hallelujah. You guys don't believe that one. You thought it was just when you got to praying and really got crazy and beating on the drums and dancing around. When you give, you are engaging in spiritual warfare. Let me tell you about this enemy that you got right here. This enemy tries to trap you into a love for the things of this world, a love for material things, until finally you worship mammon instead of God. Anybody remember the lessons about mammon? The Bible says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon are material things or things of this world or money, if you would. And when you give, you take your weapon and you defeat Come on, because this is giving. This is one of the weapons that we have, is giving. And you're able to defeat worldliness in your life through giving. You can go sit down, enemy. Through giving. This is one weapon that we have. The Bible says when you give. Not if you give, but it indicates that this should be a part of every Christian's life. This is one of the Christian duties of being faithful in giving tithes and offerings. And when you give, you do damage to the enemy. Everybody said amen. Look at the next one. The next one, verse 5, says, When thou prayest. Then it gives instructions. Verse 6, When thou prayest. Verse 7, When ye pray. Remember, these are the words of Jesus Christ. When ye pray. And, uh, and then verse 9, he gives instructions on how to pray. Right here in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the core of what it means to be a Christian, he says, When ye pray. And I want to tell you right now that there is a weapon that we can use to defeat the enemy of our soul. When we pray, we bring out a weapon that causes the enemy to tremble in his shoes. Anybody believe that? Amen. We've got a weapon. It's got a pink handle, but it'll bring fear into the heart of this world. Fear into the heart of the enemy. This is the weapon that God has put in our hands. You don't have to have a lot of money to give. You just have to be willing to give. You don't have to be eloquent to pray. You just have to be willing to put your words in motion, to operate your mouth, to speak. The Bible says if you bind it on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. If you loose it on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. God has given us the weapon of prayer to take care of our enemy satan so go sit down satan because you're defeated through the power of prayer everybody said amen i don't want you to get the misconception that each each of these weapons only works on one since they work together these weapons work together as well but finally uh the third thing that we see is in in chapter six the third weapon The third Christian duty is in verse number, where is it? Amen. Verse number, chapter number six. It says, when ye fast, do not do, let me see, it's verse 17, verse 16. Verse 16, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. When thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. So the next thing that the, uh, the Word of God lets us know that we have to combat against our enemy as a Christian duty is fasting. And this is a weapon that, the, that uh, can deal with our flesh and bring our flesh into subjection. This is the weapon of fasting. So these are, thank you, Brother Jeff, you can sit down. These are the three weapons <clears throat> represented here that the, the Lord has put into the hand of every believer. And you don't have to have a, a degree from a Bible college to be able to use them. You don't have to be super intelligent and have a high IQ to use them. <clears throat> you don't have to be from a family, know a lot about the Bible to use them. Uh, the Word of God gives us equally the opportunity and the power to give, to pray, and to fast. And I want to tell you that a church 
needs to be balanced on a tripod of these three foundational practices of every believer. And if you are falling short in one, you need to shore up because you're going to get out of balance. There needs to be prayer, there needs to be fasting, and there needs to be giving in the life of a believer if you're going to go forward, amen, as a church. And we emphasize in our church doing things with excellence, doing the best that we can. We emphasize having good programming and uh, effective evangelistic schemes and themes and so forth. But I want to tell you right now that spiritual warfare is only engaged when we tap into these resources, uh, these things that God has given us to enable us uh, to move forward into spiritual authority. Amen? Fasting deals with our flesh and reminds our flesh that it is not in control. Now, maybe the timing is bad this week. I'll admit to that. But I want us to prepare mentally for a time of fasting following this Christmas season. Because God wants to do something new in our midst. Amen. Anybody ever been around some food that got stale? Some chips? Somebody left them open? They didn't put the chip clip on them? And those chips got stale? They didn't roll them up tight? And you go to eat the chips and you put them in your mouth? And sometimes some of us will go ahead and eat them anyway. Just (laughs) endure the staleness, those trash calories. And just eat those stale chips. I don't know about you, but I like to pop it open fresh. Pop the bag open and take those chips out. And they're good and fresh. And God wants to do something fresh and new in our midst. Amen. I, 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 I don't know about you, but I'm looking for those winds of refreshing. I'm looking for those times of renewal. God's done some good things this year, but I don't want to live the rest of my life looking back at the good things that happened last year or looking back at the good things that happened two or three years ago or looking back at the time when God saved me and filled me with the Holy Ghost. I want there to be something in my spirit that says, God, I'm looking for the next wave of glory. I'm, I'm looking for some fresh anointing. I'm looking for some fresh bread. I want something fresh to come down from heaven into my life. Amen. you got a choice. You don't have to live with the stale. God says you can get some fresh. You can get some fresh. Now, in the Bible, it talks about uh, putting new wine into old wineskins. Anybody remember that passage? It's in Luke chapter 5. Verse number 36, it says, He spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of raw garment on an old, then, the, the, uh, then it will tear. And the piece that was taken out of the old doesn't agree with the new. Verse 37 says, And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, because it's a waste, because the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. And God's not going to put fresh new anointing into an old wineskin. What happens to a wineskin? It's like a it's like the skin of an animal. But when it gets too exposed to its environment, to, when too many things are exposed to it in the air and so forth, it becomes dry and brittle. And when you put the new wine in it, the Bible says that the wineskin will burst. And I want to tell you that there are some things that happen while we're living in this world. We just become inundated with the things of this world and inundated with the influence of our flesh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You haven't been praying like you should or you haven't been taking time to fast and uh, you've gotten so interested in the hobbies and the things of this world and it's taken you off course and your priorities have come misaligned as Brother Clay Jackson told us about on Sunday. 
It's an old wineskin that's become influenced by the things of this world. And God says, I got something fresh. I got new wine, but I'm not pouring it into that old prayerless attitude. I'm not pouring it into that old mindset that's stuck in a routine that is moving you away from God. But there's got to be something new. There's got to be something fresh. Hallelujah. I've got to do something to prepare my vessel. I've got to prepare my heart. I've got to be ready to receive the supernatural. I've got to be ready to receive the anointing. I've got to be ready to receive the miraculous. It's not just coming just because I want it, but it's coming when I do what I've got to do to get the new wineskin. Now, I've heard this taught and preached and read from the Bible, but I never noticed the context of it until today. Luke chapter number 5, verse 37. No man putteth new wine into old bottles or old wineskins. I want you to notice what the context of, of is of this discussion. You have to go up to verse 33 to find out what brought this discussion about. They said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often? And make prayers. And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees. But thou eat and drink. He said unto them. Can you make the children of the bridegroom fast. While the bridegroom is with them. Verse 35. But the day will come. When the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. And then shall they fast. In those days. This is a discussion. About the power of fasting. Because something happens. When you fast. It prepares you for a new anointing. Amen. If you want new wine and new miracles. New closeness and intimacy with God It's time to call a fast And shed that old skin For something new Amen Amen Hallelujah 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 That's why when the new year begins We're going to put emphasis on it We're going to focus on it Not because we want to be mean Not because we're Gnostics And want to punish ourselves The reason we're going to fast Is because we've got to get rid of some old flesh Rid of some old attitude Some old worldliness Some old All this junk that gets a part of us And I want something fresh and new Amen Because sometimes our attitude and our mindset Gets so distorted by this world And so influenced by this world That we think God's going to pour His blessing and favor onto us With us just going through the motions of our regular life Because we're in the right family And we go to the right church with the right name over the door That's part of the right organization It's not going to work The only way it'll work Is if we prepare a way for God If we prepare Prepare our hearts if we prepare ourselves. My God. Because when you push back the plate, when you lay your life on the altar as a sacrifice, and your mind begins to change, your thinking begins to change, your priorities you begin to change, some old rotten way of thinking begins to be shed, and something new takes its place. Now I want to tell you, Life Church, if we're going to move forward, we can't just float along. There's got to be those times where we bear in, amen, and we say it doesn't matter what other people do or what other people say or what they think will bring revival. There's only one way, and it's the Bible way. It's a scriptural way. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Man, now, why, why does fasting work? What is the fundamental of this concept of fasting? To some people, it doesn't make sense that there's something spiritual about not eating. Because eating is very physical. And uh, particularly those people who say Christianity is only about your heart. It's on the inside what matters. Outside doesn't matter. It's just a spiritual thing. They would not understand the influence and the impact of fasting on a person's spiritual destiny. Genesis chapter 3 that tells the story of the serpent. Because this weapon doubles as a serpent. The serpent who appeared to Eve while she was about to, uh, she was in the, in the garden there. And what did he use? The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast. 
And uh, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. The woman said, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said, You will not die. God knoweth in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In the very beginning, I want you to catch this now, in the very beginning of the Bible, we see what the basic concept of temptation is. The basic concept of temptation. The devil gains access to us through the flesh, so that he will tempt us with things that appeal to the flesh. And we see here that the very first thing man is tempted in his flesh with is food. Everybody say food. In, in this passage, the man is tempted by looking, or the woman in this case, is tempted by looking at the fruit on the tree, which is simple, basic food. And the devil already understood that human beings had certain weaknesses. So in his agenda, he was going to work in those weak areas and try to get Adam and Eve to miss the blessing by stepping out of the will of God. So he said, if I can get them to focus on the natural and off of the supernatural, I'm going to get some victories here on this planet. Man's going to fall. They will give their dominion to me. It's, going, it's not going to be much of a fight because I know what their weakness is. And today, not much has changed. The devil is still very aware uh, that our flesh is his front door to move and work in our life. Everybody got that point? Our flesh is the enemy's front door. And we're often willing to give up so much for a moment of fleshly satisfaction and gratification. But we're going to fast in January because this flesh will surrender some spiritual gains that we've already made. And future gains to the devil through temptation. Amen. The adversary knows this verse as well as we do, Romans 8, 5. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Satan knows this verse as well. So the foundation, the very beginning is this is our flesh is the doorway to how the, the means by which the enemy has access to try to get us to fall and to fail. And when we stop the power of the flesh over us, uh, we gain dominion over the enemy. I want to give you some pointers here, or not some pointers, but some encouragement on the power of fasting. One thing I want you to understand is that fasting gives us authority over high-ranking devils. But I say high-ranking. The, you know, the Bible gives us uh, the idea that there are various ranks in the spiritual kingdom. We said in Ephesians 6.12, I read it to you, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of the world, this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. So there are different levels, ranks, and dominions in this kingdom of the enemy. And in order to have victory, uh, the Bible says, in uh, 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 Matthew chapter 17, verse uh, 21, says there are certain kinds of things that only come out by prayer and by fasting. Remember the, the young man that was possessed with evil spirits? Those evil spirits would throw him in the fire, and the disciples were using the name of Jesus to try to cast out the spirit. And then Jesus came down from the mountain and saw that it was uh, a disaster. So he took control of the situation. He spoke to the deaf and dumb spirit and commanded it to leave and the spirit left and uh, then the young man was restored and so then the disciples were like Jesus why could not we cast out this evil spirit and Jesus said it was because of unbelief if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed you shall say to this mountain be thou removed cast into the sea and it shall be done then he said how be it or however this kind or this kind of spirit this level of spirit cometh not out but by prayer and fasting and there are certain levels if you would of spiritual authority 
the high-ranking spiritual authority, high-ranking princes and powers of the air, we have authority uh, over through fasting. Amen? So that the apostles, through their failure, they learn something. They learn that there are spiritual levels that we have to step up into if we're going to counteract or destroy spiritual wickedness in high places. You can't destroy spiritual wickedness in high places through a high-powered personality. And you can't destroy spiritual wickedness in high places through having enough money and influence. The only way you can destroy spiritual wickedness in high places, the Bible said Jesus declared, this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. And I want to tell you that there are some spiritual dominions in this area. The kind of revival, the kind of outbreak of God's blessing and favor that we desire to see will not happen as a result of better programming and better music and so on and so forth. There's only one thing that'll work. It's prayer and fasting. It gives us power. It gives us authority over high-ranking enemies. Amen. Jesus was saying that if you're going to get authority over these powers, you've got to push off the rational, logical, carnal nature And instead, loose the all-powerful, supernatural spirit of God. You can't do it through your ability. Amen. We can't cast out devils in the flesh. And we know that we don't have power over spiritual things through our flesh, but only through the Holy Ghost, only as we peel away the flesh and let the Spirit's work be done in our midst. Amen. So Jesus was saying to his disciples, you don't have the faith to cast out this evil spirit. Because of your unbelief, you could not cast him out. Because of your carnal mind, it has a hard time understanding the spiritual concepts necessary to operate in the higher levels of spiritual authority. You can't get there from where you are. You can't have the victory you want thinking the way you're thinking. The only way you can think the right way to have dominion over the enemy is through prayer and fasting. The victory that we want, we can't get it from our current location. We can't get it from our current plane and plateau. But we've got to step up a little bit. And we can't just step up by being more fervent and clapping our hands harder and saying hallelujah louder. There's got to be prayer and fasting that goes into empowering and equipping us to move forward. Anybody believe the word of the Lord tonight that God's trying to speak to us as a church, to all of us? Remind us of something. There's got to be a breaking of me in order for there to be deliverance from God to come into our midst. Praise the Lord. Another thing I've learned in Scripture is that Jesus Christ knew the benefits of fasting. Even though he was God in flesh. It says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and was 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing. And when they were eaten, he was ended, he was afterward hungered. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. Verse 14. This was right before the ministry of Jesus began. Even though he had in him the Spirit of the Almighty God, there were certain things that he had to do because he had to travel around in the flesh. And also, he had to model things that we were supposed to do. So when the devil began to tempt Jesus in the wilderness there with different degrees of worldly power that he was willing to give to him, the flesh of God was up to the challenge because it had been practicing abstinence from food for 40 days. The devil could not get the humanity of Jesus. He couldn't get him sidetracked because there was no carnality in Jesus to take advantage of. So we've got to understand that when we're in a position of abstinence through prayer and fasting or abstaining from food, we give no advantage to the devil through our flesh. Some of you have been struggling with your flesh. I'm telling you right now that we're going to go in a time of prayer and fasting after Christmas to give you power to overcome the enemy. Amen? Anybody seen it before? You start to make progress in God. You start to move forward. Sunday was a great service. You feel faith in your spirit. But the devil knows right where to get you. 
He knows right what to tempt you with, doesn't he? Different things for different people, different strokes for different folks. But there's something the enemy knows. That's your area of vulnerability. But what does the Bible say? That Satan found nothing in Jesus. You know why? Because, not because there was no flesh to Jesus. Not because he didn't have a carnal nature. He had a carnal nature. But it was because he had taken dominion over that. He had essentially purged and silenced the influence of that through fasting and prayer. And I believe, I really believe this is something I want to emphasize. Uh, it, you know, it's, it, it's easy just to kind of get off, get off track with this and stop thinking about it because it's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable to fast. Is there anybody that enjoys fasting? Nobody enjoys fasting here. You, you don't really enjoy fasting because the body loves to eat. And so what are you doing? You're telling yourself, no, you're denying yourself. That's something you don't hear about much in Christianity, do you? But when you deny yourself, when you tell yourself no and, and uh, make it a part of your life. Now, I've been guilty in the past of going on long fasts and then going the rest of the year and not fasting very much. We'll go on a seven-day fast. Hopefully that will last me the rest of the year. Guess what? It don't work. That's why I believe the Word of God gives us witness and teaching to the fact that fasting should be something that becomes a part of our lives. And uh, here's what I want to do in the new year, something that I've done in my life uh, for periods of time before, but of late I haven't been practicing it. But I feel God directing us and leading us to do this, is fasting regularly. Every week, taking two or three meals and fasting. Taking one day and fasting, because guess what? You know, what it does is, that flesh, you got it defeated. And it's down on the mat. And you beat the fire out of it. You told it no so much to, well, it was powerless. And you're gliding in the things of the Spirit. But guess what? After a little while, that head comes up off the mat. And it starts to get up. And some of the mistake that we make is because fasting is so distasteful, it's not very enjoyable, that once our flesh starts to get up, we don't want to get out our weapon and use it. Instead of, when as soon as that flesh gets up, like if you're practicing regular fasting, starts to lift his head, you just kick it in the head again. Push it back down again. Instead, you let it get its strength. Get all the way back up. Wipe itself off. Turn around and face you. And say, I want to run this life. I want to do what I want to do. And then you find yourself struggling with the same temptations of the past. Falling prey to the same things of the past. But I want to challenge us in the Holy Ghost to keep our flesh under subjection. And the best way is to use this weapon and tool. Jesus said, when ye fast. Not if or if you feel like it. And if you want to walk in victory over the flesh. If you're like me, you've got lots of flesh you've got to deal with. Uh, and you've got to make fasting a regular part of your life. I want us to encourage one another to do this together this year. In the month of January, we want to go on a, a, a prolonged fast, kind of like a prophet's fast, if you would, to expect and anticipate great things from the Lord, for God to transform us, to change us, to do uh, what the Bible says, to fast a fast that is for the breaking of the bonds and setting free those that are captive, seeing people that are bound, delivered, fasting that is about other people. It's not about, God, I'm going to fast so that I can get a new car, get a better job. I'm fasting so that people can be set free. I'm fasting so people can be lifted up. I'm fasting for a community that's in bondage. I'm fasting. This is God's fast. I want to be a part of this. We're going to start out the year. We're going to start out the year. And I've, I've uh, never done it before, and I'm trying to figure out the dates on the calendar. I've got some things that I've got to do. But I want to do 21-day fast, 21-day total abstinence fast uh, with just water. And uh, I want to encourage anybody else that wants to go on 7-day fast, uh, anybody that wants to go on a 14-day fast, anybody that wants to go on a 21-day Daniel fast, uh, or if somebody wants to, uh, only if God directs you, I don't encourage you to take a long fast like that unless you're directed specifically. 
specifically by God. But I've got some issues, just like all of us have issues to deal with. Uh, I've got to put the flesh under subjection. I know God's got some great things for us in the future, and I know I'm not going to get there because my daddy's a preacher, and I'm not going to get there because I'm a UPC preacher, and I'm not going to get there because I know the truth, and I'm not going to get there just because I was baptized in Jesus' name, but I'm going to get there because I put the flesh down so that my spirit man can be uh, empowered by Jesus to see victory, to see revival, to see anointing, to see renewal. Come on, somebody. Amen. Fasting can even change God's mind. There's a story in Scripture in the book of Jonah about a man who was a prophet that God called and said, go to Nineveh, prophesy against this city. Say, 30 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Then guess what happened? The Bible says Jonah gave the word of the Lord that in 40 days the city was going to be destroyed. When we talk about Nineveh, we're not talking about saints. We're not talking about a church. They're heathens. But the conviction based on the word of judgment gripped them. So these people who were lost were able to stop the divine judgment that God had planned for them. Verse 10, when God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. Could you imagine how awesome it would be to change the mandate of God and allow mercy to fall in our area instead of wrath? Come on, somebody. There's judgment that God has ready to fall in this area for the sins of men. But I believe that there is power through fasting to change the mind of God through fasting and prayer. He had thought to destroy these people because of their wickedness. And the injury they had caused. But when they fasted, they turned from their wicked ways and stopped the gavel of the judge that was about to fall right in midair. Changed the mind of God. There was another wicked king, King Ahab, married to Jezebel. Anybody remember Jezebel? Ahab was not a good king. He was a bad king. He was a terrible example. And uh, he was a weak, conniving human being. And God said, you're going to die. But what did he do? He went on a fast and changed the mind of God. See, what I'm saying is Nineveh wasn't the church. And Ahab wasn't a good guy. But when they fasted and humbled themselves, they changed the mind of God. I wonder what we could do as the children of the living God, those of us that know God, and we're trying to do what's right. Uh, And we may not be completely righteous, but don't forget that the Ninevites got God to move even though they were very unrighteous. And Ahab was a terrible king, but he got God to move. You don't have to be perfect, uh, but you do have to make a commitment to try it. God's not saying, okay, get your life straightened up, get righteous, and then fast. God is saying to us, just like to Ahab and to Nineveh, that if we will fast, he'll do the cleansing. Anybody with me? He will do the cleansing. He will make us pure. He will overcome our enemies. Um, I, I, I also just briefly want to mention that fasting produces revelation and clarity through the bible we find that divine insight and revelation is made available during times of fasting moses went on two separate 40-day fast anybody know that moses went on two separate 40-day fast and there's no one who had more of a keen insight and opening to god's law it was revealed to him completely In fact, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. You talk about revelation. From the beginning of time to the giving of the law, God revealed to Moses. Sometimes we look at these men of God in Scripture and think they were just a different species of people than what we are. But they were real folks. They were real people that had temper tantrums, real people that had issues. But when they focused in, 
God begin to give revelation to them. When you read through the book of Psalms, much of the writing from the book of Psalms is born out of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting that produced uh, these words, these direct words. God breathed words uh, because of fasting. You look at Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, and uh, all the revelation that God gave to this man went on a 21-day fast, and God revealed to him what was going to happen in the last days. And it's so awesome that we can read the works of Daniel and see things that are happening today. Because there's something happening. God opens pathways, insight, and gives clarity during these periods and times of fasting. They sent John to Patmos, and they sent him there to starve to death. While he was there, he turned that starving condition into a consecration fast. And God gave him the revelation that we read in our Bibles. Because when a person goes on a lengthy fast, a prophet's length fast, revelation is the result. God gives insight to them. Elijah went on a 40-day fast. and During this fast, he, uh, it was revealed to him who his successor, his prophet, was to be, Elisha. And also uh, it, it was revealed to him who would be the successors of the kings of both Syria and Israel. God opened his insight and understanding and revelation to this. Before Esther went before the king, she went in a time of prayer and fasting. And when she was fasting, she was asking for divine favor and divine wisdom. And God favored her. Cornelius, did anybody know that when uh, uh, one of the most amazing stories in all the Bibles, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is a righteous uh, Gentile. A godly Gentile who knew nothing about Jesus Christ, uh, but he was in the middle of a four-day fast uh, when an angel appeared to him and said, there's a man that you need to send for whose name is Peter. I'll tell you right where he lives. Uh, he lives with a Simon and Tanner in, in Joppa. I want you to go and I want you to get him. He's going to tell you everything. I'm telling some, you something amazing. This guy doesn't even have the Holy Ghost yet. Uh, he hasn't even heard the gospel yet. Uh, but during this time of fasting because he was an upright guy and because he gave alms he knew how to use spiritual warfare he fasted he prayed often and while he was praying in the middle of a four-day fast god arranged a rendezvous with truth for him and peter showed up when he was called and gave him the gospel and now we're here today as part of the gentile church because cornelius fasted and prayed and god opened up his understanding during that time of fasting how many believe that stuff still happens today hallelujah 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 Saul whose name would be changed to Paul fasted and prayed for three days after those three days God revealed to him that it would be Ananias who would come and tell him what he must do share the gospel with him see him saved Jesus, as we mentioned, fasted for 40 days right before he began his ministry of healing and miracles. Finally, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, one of the favorite passages of Scripture for Pentecostals, it's an Old Testament prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. What does it say? It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. How many are thankful for this promise of God? Amen. And we're looking forward to that. We're looking with great expectation that God is going to pour out His Spirit on servants and handmaidens and sons and daughters and friends and associates and people we've never met before. That God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. But I want you to notice a word that we, as we quote this verse, we often look over. It shall come to pass afterwards. Everybody say afterwards. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams upon your servants. Afterwards. I mean, how many times have we heard and quoted and read and 
heard preachers preach about this. Afterwards, after what? After what? You look at the context of Joel chapter 2, and you find out the context of this promise comes based on verse number 15. If you jump back to verse number 15, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. There had been judgment that had been being poured out upon Israel. But God was speaking through the prophet Joel, call a fast, get God's people to humble themselves, get God's people to shed the old wine skin and get their hearts right with me again. And it shall come to pass afterwards. I'm telling you what, I'm looking forward to the afterwards. I'm looking forward to the afterwards, but I believe God will call us and is calling us in the midst of this perverse and filthy world to cleanse ourselves and purge ourselves through the power of prayer and fasting and prepare God for what God, prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our midst. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand to our feet right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 I've had the opportunity and privilege to visit churches before that were not spirit-filled churches. Churches that were filled with people, many of them, Sincere, doing all they knew to do. Many of you have been there before. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a particular church, but there's churches all over you can walk into. And the thing that I noticed immediately as I visit these types of churches is the shallowness. The shallowness their spiritual connection and the move of God. They're, they're nice people. They're sincere and they call themselves Christians. But because of the leadership, because of the protocol, because of the expectations, there is such a shallowness that there is not a deep, sovereign, life-changing, priority-changing move of God. And people leave the same way that they came. They hear a good speech. They hear some good songs about Jesus and they leave feeling better but there's not been that deep move of the spirit let me just be honest with you right now I fear us moving that direction I don't want us to come and be some kind of a Pentecostal version of that shallow end Christianity I want us to have moves of God that are so sovereign had them here before. I'm not saying that we haven't and I'm not saying that we that we're off course, but what I am saying is God is calling us to a deeper level. He wants to do a deep spiritual thing. And here's the exciting part. There's some of you new members of Life Church, you've never been quite in an environment quite like that where God turns people inside out and their lives are completely transformed from that day forward. And they come in hooked on nicotine. And they come into the house of the Lord hooked on alcohol, alcoholics, bound up with drugs. They come in here with pornography addictions. They come in here as prostitutes. And the power of God moves so powerfully in such a deep way that something is taken out of them and something is replaced. talking about a deep and sovereign move of God. That doesn't happen because you got a good preacher. Amen. That doesn't happen for any other reason other than there are people that are a part of that assembly that have decided that it's not good enough for me just to come to church. It's not good enough 
for me just to say I'm a believer. Sometimes I wonder how our thinking got so whacked. And once again, I'm pointing fingers at me too. We think we're, we're sacrificing. And there's people who put their life on the line every time they gather together with the other believers. People in other parts of this world who when they get together with other Christians, there is a chance their life will be snuffed out. They get together. There's people who walk to church with bare feet. And I don't mean like me walking from Mountain View Avenue over here. I'm talking about walking miles to be in the house of the Lord. Sometimes we got this concept, oh, I have to sacrifice so much. We don't know what it is to put our life on the altar. And I'm saying, God, how did we get thinking like this? See, that, that's what I'm talking about, the old wine scene. God's not going to pour that anointing into that old way of thinking. That thinks because I showed up at church two times, two times during the week that somehow I've really poured myself out for God. But, oh, God, let something inside of me hunger and thirst after righteousness. That won't happen. No, nobody can preach you to that point. Nobody can inspire you to that point. You have to decide to go there. Come on. The sad thing is I can't get all of you to come. There are times when my flesh fights me and I don't even want to go. But right now the Holy Ghost is wanting to get us psychologically prepared. Because during the month of January, see this is going to be a crazy year we're going into. We're going to face some spiritual attack. We're going to face opposition, and we better be prayed up. We better have our weapons sharp. Hallelujah. We better have our weapons sharp. We better have them ready to do war against the enemy because I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of something bigger than anything that's going in this world. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm a part of a spiritual surge of what God wants to do in our midst. And I want His favor. I want His anointing. Hallelujah. That's why we're going to fast in the month of January. We're getting rid of the old wineskin, the old attitude, the old mindset, the old way of thinking. We're going to say, God, I want something fresh, so I'm going to give you something fresh. I'm going to prepare my container for something fresh. Let's bow our heads right now.
Somebody, God's spoken to you about a healing ministry. Maybe it's been a few years ago. And you felt deep in your spirit that God wanted to use you to lay hands on sick people. And that there would be miracles that would happen. And in the meantime, you've been through a beating. You wondered why you've had to suffer what you've suffered. I'm telling you right now that God was preparing and knocking the pride out of you so that He could use you in the manner in which He had promised that He would do. Now He's saying it's time for you to prepare your vessel. I'm ready for my anointing to flow through you in these last days. I'm ready for my unction to come upon you. I'm ready to overshadow you with giftings so that you could impact people in your world. Right now, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. God's speaking in this place. Hallelujah. Come on, I feel a fresh anointing that's ready to break loose upon members of this body. Hallelujah. The enemy tried to disqualify somebody. The enemy tripped someone up and has done his very best to convince you that God's plan for you is over. Done his best to convince you that the deal that God shared with you is not going to happen. Feel like Joseph in the prison, forgotten. And I want you to know right now that God is saying, this is, a, this is your word. This is your time. This is your time to go ahead and get into what I'm calling you right now. I want God to speak to somebody in the name of the Lord because I can't get you where you need to go. You've got to go there yourself. You've got to be drawn by God to that place uh, to let God do in you what He wants to do. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would unleash something in our midst. God, unleash something in our church. Unleash something in my life and my experience. Oh, God, I know I can't get there from where I am right now. I can't get there with this vessel. You can't pour it in, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord, prepare my heart, Lord Jesus, to be responsive to you. I want you to reach over and pray for the person next to you right now before we leave. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But in the name of Jesus, God, we invite you into our midst. I invite you into my dilemma right now. I invite you into my struggle. Oh, God, I want to use what you've given me. I pray, Lord, that you would speak and direct and order my steps. Let the word of God right now change me. Let it shift some things around in me. Oh God, I'm tired of prayerlessness. Oh God, I'm tired of fighting with temptation. Oh God, I'm tired of feeling guilty and condemned. God, I'm tired of it. I'm ready, Lord Jesus, to step into the anointing that you had promised for me. The devil has lied to me and I refuse to receive it. I refuse to accept it. Come on, somebody. I refuse to accept that there is an anointing.
Spirit. As we take these steps of faith, He's going to renew our mind. He's going to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Because you're asking the question, you ask God, why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still fighting this battle? And here's the answer. Here's the answer from God right now. The answer from God is you cannot be victorious when you're thinking with a carnal mind. It doesn't work. There's no amount of willpower that can enable you to live victorious if you've got the old mind. God wants to give you a fresh new mind through this process. Praise God. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. God bless you. Sorry for being so heavy this close to Christmas, but I feel like God's preparing us for revival, and revival's worth it. I'm looking forward to the afterwards. Afterwards. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Leave here rejoicing in the goodness of God.